Hi, hello, and welcome to Oh Boy, the podcast presented by Man Repeller. I'm your host, Jay Bume, and today's guest is Mickey Agrawal, the multi-talented author, speaker, creator of Thinks, the underwear designed especially for your period, Tushy, the bidet attachment for your toilet, as well as founder of Wild, a farm-to-table, gluten-free pizza joint with three locations in New York City. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation that covered a whole range of topics, including one of the most unbelievable 9-11 stories I've ever heard. I'm really excited for y'all to hear our talk. Today's sponsor is the new show Good Behavior on TNT. So I went to watch an episode to see what the deal was so I could know what I was talking about when doing this ad. And four hours later, I realized that I had watched all of the episodes that were available online. I've never seen a show like this. It's it's so damn good. I think y'all would really, really like it. And when you check it out, keep in mind that TNT will be live tweeting every episode and you can follow along with the hashtag good behavior. Okay, let's get into it. Growing up, because my parents didn't know I was going to be born, I literally was born like I was a month and a half premature and two month, two weeks prior they didn't know I was going to be born until literally two weeks before I was born oh, wow. because I was hidden right behind my sister. And so I was like, my dad calls me, Bonas, Bonas, come here. You know, so my nickname is Bonas. I'm in Bonu when he's happy. Yeah. Um, Bonu, hello. And I was like, Bonas. <laughs> um, where, where in Canada are you from? Montreal. Okay. All my, my, the only family I have between my Indian side and my Japanese side is in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's my bro- my dad's brother and his his wife and my cousin. Yeah. I, everyone else is in Japan and India. Oh, wow. Which is crazy. So, so you grew up in Montreal proper, like in the city? Grew up in Montreal. Well, I grew up in, in, in the La Rive Sud de Montréal, the South Shore of Montreal. Okay. Yeah. And so I went to school in Westmount in Montreal, mm-hmm. but I lived in the South Shore called La Rive Sud. What, what was it like growing up there? Super tolerant. Yeah. I mean, I would the way I, I kind of view Canada versus America. Yeah. You know, obviously America is a land of opportunities. So, right. like, you know, we're, we're, a lot of us come here for the opportunity and to, right. to, to, to you know chase our dreams. But the way I view Canada culturally versus America culturally, I see Canada as a mosaic of culture. Mm-hmm. So they embrace every mm-hmm. culture. So you look at like a mosaic, like stained glass window, and it's a bunch of different colors, and it creates this beautiful piece of art, right? right, right. Whereas I consider Americans more of a melting pot, mm-hmm. where everyone wants to be American. Yeah. You know, and they don't necessarily kind of like push down their culture and their heritage, and they just want to be American. Right. Whereas in Canada, like I went to Monday through Friday, I had French school. Saturday, I had Japanese school. Sunday, yeah. I had Hindi school. Yeah. It's my entire life. So I went to school seven days a week my entire <laughs> life because we, everyone, like you were part of the Hindi school program. You right. were part of the Hindi club and the Hindi like culture. And then we were part of the Japanese schools and the Japanese culture and the you know Japanese families and so and we were part of the French families and the French culture and we grew up our best friends were Portuguese and so we grew up in the Portuguese culture Uh and so we just grew up with so much culture and so much like our our, you know we we, not so much of a insular myopic viewpoint but very much blinders you know blinders are off I get to see the whole world I get to taste the world from different foods I Mm -hmm. get to learn about the cultures I get to sit and learn the languages and so as a result you kind of become tolerant and you're like, cool, you yeah. know? Also, um, uh, no, there, no slavery. No slavery, There was yeah. no slavery in Canada. Which is magical. And I love, you know, Justin Trudeau. Like, Justin Trudeau is, like, one of the most amazing He's so ministers. great. I love, did you watch that video of him the day after he got elected where he was in the subway station oh, yeah. in yeah. Montreal just, oh, like, shaking, shaking people's, people's hands. hands? Being like, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> He's just the greatest. I, I also said when I was, one of the things that, that was really... Um, um, I would say like impactful for me growing up like was when I was 11 years old mm-hmm. and my dad and my mom my dad who's from India my mom who's from Japan both they both grew up there they both grew up there my and mom they met in Canada in Canada how did they meet I'm just curious they met in, in graduate school in Ottawa okay at, at Carleton University yeah my dad was doing a two-year abroad program um, in in uh, aeronautical engineering mm-hmm. and my dad was doing a one-year my, my mom was doing a one-year abroad program in international relations, and they met in 1974. Yeah. And against all odds, 
they fell in love and within seven months they were married wow. and then within that year they had three of us <laughs> in one year they had three kids they had th- how twins my old, at once so i'm a twin okay okay okay. i'm an identical twin and then Amazing. my third sister so we're irish triplets my yes. third sister is 11 months and change older than us wow yeah. They just didn't waste any time. They're like, let's get into it. Totally. And when we were, when we were 11 years old, so my dad came to this country from India when, um, with $5 in his pocket, yeah. you know, and, you know, and my mom came from Japan. She, she came from a pretty affluent background, but when she chose to marry my dad, she got cut off financially right. by her family. They're like, right. if you marry this man from a, you know, Indian culture from Japan, which is, they're pretty insular themselves, mm-hmm. you know, they... Um, there she's like, we're, they said, we're going to cut you off financially and she said, go for it. Yeah. So she was headstrong. And, um, and so we grew up with, you know, very middle class, you know, but when I was 11 years old, my dad took out a loan, like a $20,000 loan back then, 1989 was so much money right. and, um, took our whole family on a two and a half month trip all over India and Japan. What? And it was the first time I ever, um, experienced poverty, saw the world, saw where my parents were from. Right. And my parents spent the next 10 years paying that loan off. After they just took us on a two and a half month trip. Yeah. And it was just like that kind of forward thinking and that kind of like um, of what it would do sacrifice for, you guys. Yeah. Um, for what it would do for us mm-hmm. was just like, I don't know many families who would, who would necess- whose parents would necessarily spend, take out a loan no. and spend the next 10 years paying it off no. just take us on a two and a half month no. trip around the world. That's a really you cool know? experience. It's really cool. Yeah. That's really, yeah. that's, you're really lucky. Yeah. And I would say that was the first time I ever experienced the, the questioning of like, I saw a kid who had elephantitis on his feet. We were at a train station mm-hmm. in India and this kid was begging for money and begging for food. And I remember we like, you know, asked our dad if we can get him some chole bature, which is like, you know, um, it's like chapati and like, um, and potatoes mm-hmm. and chickpeas. Um, and, and my dad said, okay. And then we were like, where are his parents? Like we didn't even... Right. Like, we're like, where is his parents? We don't know. And my dad was like, he probably doesn't have parents or he's probably an orphan. And that was just like, what? It wasn't even like it didn't compute. And and I think that experience really, really, um, you know, like made us realize that we truly won the lottery of life. You know, like that was that moment where you're just like, wow, I have two parents who love me. Like I have a home. I have food. I have clothes. I get to play soccer. I get to go to school. Yeah. You know, it was that realization at that moment that really, really hit me yeah um just so much gratitude yeah that's amazing everybody should be so lucky what was the first thing that you're really interested in growing up soccer yeah oh where did that come from well when we were four years old my dad gave us two options okay one was to do Bharatnatyam, which is indian traditional dance okay or play soccer yeah (laughs) we're like soccer please yeah we're gonna do soccer and uh and then my dad became our coach my mom became our assistant coach really and did you guys get oranges at halftime in canada oh yeah okay oh yeah Yeah, we did that we did that here oranges that was was a cool move yeah this is just like the the sliced just a bunch of kids i must have been so weird just to see like a bunch of like sweaty kids just like eating Eating oranges oranges in between (laughs) yeah yeah totally Oh yeah, and then like the big pasta dinner before uh-huh. and during tournaments, and yes. we would, like caravan to tournaments. And yeah, it was such a commitment for our parents. But it's just like I remember I would never, I'd never forget like the times when my dad was like running late from work and he would be like untying his tie while running and getting his whistle over his neck to kind yeah. of put on his like you know like his like coat shorts. Yeah. Oh my god, literally or like a sitcom. Even, and he's like, know? oh big kick, oh good job everybody, big kick. And you're like, daddy, sometimes like big kick isn't like the greatest thing. It's like <laughs> passing and like yeah. you know. But he was. They were just so they were just so encouraging and um, and that's when we really kind of you know fell into having like such a deep passion for the sport you yeah. know and I played from age four to thirty pretty much and from you know and then I played all four years at Cornell D one oh, wow. I played for the New York Magic for two seasons oh, until incredible. I had three ACL reconstructions oh and so I was like defined as a soccer player like I yeah. walk like a soccer player I talk like a soccer player I like. I was like a, to- you know, my, my twin sister and I, and we were tomboys. She played soccer too? We both played soccer at Cornell. Okay. We both, and she had three ACLs. Oh, you guys went to the tears. same school too? We both went to Cornell, yeah. Wow. Do you guys live close to each other now? Five blocks away. Okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, from the womb to the tomb, yeah. baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, 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 you know, what, what were you, what were you, what, what did you have in your mind that you wanted to do? I mean, when you were you know, a kid, when we were a kid, then, our know? dad ingrained like Mickey, the heart surgeon, Rada, the orthopedic surgeon, Yuri, the brain surgeon, 
And Yuri became the head and neck surgeon, my older sister. She, oh, really? she like fulfilled like the Asian parent dream, like right. wet dream of going to Harvard, top of her class, going to Yale, top of her class, going to Hopkins, top of her class, yeah. and becoming a top head and neck surgeon. And I feel like, honestly, like I wrote a book, Do Cool Shit. And, yeah. and, um, and in the intro, like when, when the acknowledgement sh- section, I acknowledged my, my sister, Yuri. I was like, thank you so much for becoming the doctor so that you, you gave basically my parents the thing that they wanted and which, which gave us the freedom to do what we wanted. Right. Was she, <laughs> you the, know? Was she the older sister? Less than a year older sister. Yeah, 11 months older. Right. So, so she got to pave the way. She had like... to, well, she set a bar higher than any, like she was like, right. you know, valedictorian. I was like, I was like, come on. Like my sister, my twin sister and I always like refer to ourselves as, like, you know, the movie Twins? Yeah. And like she got all the Arnold Schwarzenegger jeans, yeah. and my sister and I, my twin sister and I, got like the Danny, Danny DeVito, DeVito yeah. like little short, scrappy, <laughs> like you know, whatever. Yeah. And she got like the tall, beautiful, fair, like thin, like jeans. And we were like, "Hey, how you doing?" You know, like. <laughs> and so you know, I, I definitely, um, yeah, she's poised. She's like beautiful. She's so put together. And, That's so funny. Well, um, like, so like, what, did you have like an awkward time growing up? Was there like, an awkward well, you period? mean besides like the unibrow and like the mustache? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, Unibrow's got a strong look. Though, you know <laughs> it's what like I mean? the Frida Kahlo look. She's cool. She looks great. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What was going through your mind when you were in high school? Um, I mean, we were going down like originally the, you know, follow your dad's dream path, you right. know, like we were like, okay, I'll be a doctor. And then like slowly, slowly, like, so in high school, you graduate high school in grade 11 mm-hmm. and then you do something called Cégep in, in Quebec, which is like Centre Éducatif Régional et Professionnel, which basically sure. it's before sure. Yeah. It basically like it's, it's pre you. So, right. so you do grade seven to grade 11 and then you do it's equivalent of grade 12 and 13 mm-hmm. and then you do university for four years. Right. Or for three years. Oh, okay. Yeah, for three years. And so it all adds up to about the same amount of time. But but it's almost like university-level courses, but with smaller, with like high school-style cra- classrooms. This is a great kind of step into college. It's like prep school. Right. Right? And so I went to a CEGEP for one year before going to Cornell. Okay. So it would have made it, my, my, it was basically like grade 12. But so, but you knew you wanted to get out of Canada. I, well, when my sister went to Harvard, we were like, hmm, freedom. Yeah. Seems sweet, sweet like sweet sweet nectar um from our asian parents you know <laughs> from the tiger were you, mom and dad were you like oh, we were gonna go to cornell because you guys wanted to play soccer or like you're we want like- to go well we want to just have an american experience because we went to we went to visit my sister in, in boston we were yeah. like this is cool she gets to live in a dorm yeah. like she gets to eat campus food yeah. and she gets to like make friends that are not from her hometown and like it was just a very novel thing and in canada you just went most people went to school like and commuted at home right. like really most people did that at least from what I, from my yeah. little, you know, mini perspective. And mm-hmm. so that just opened up my perspective to, wow, my parents as Asian tiger parents would say, it's like, you can't leave Canada unless you went to an Ivy League school. And we're like, okay. And so yeah. we went to Cornell. We, it was the first school we went to. I, I thought I was going to be a doctor up until I went to Sejep. Uh-huh. And then when I went to Sejep, I, I finally faced my dad. Yeah. And I was like, I do not want to be a doctor. Yeah. I want to go from this to business. And my dad threatened to like, kick me out and not pay for my school and all the yada yada and ultimately like for them it was just um like they wanted the best for us right and they want us to have a stable job and they wanted to like make sure that we wouldn't be you know suffer growing up and so for them it was doing the right thing right but for us it was the time when i was finally starting to like flex my own muscles and and, like basically like spread my own wings and feel my own sense of ownership to my own life well a lot of the, i think a lot of that stuff comes from like you know i think that's a big trend within like first first generation immigrants oh for sure you know? it's like doctor lawyer engineer yeah just like, like get something get something stable, that's stable solid. hard skills yeah. as my dad says I very like hard skills and i wanted when i went to like business and communications like soft skill i could teach you communication mickey i can teach you why should i spend thirty two thousand dollars a year to teach you communication you know, you know your dad should probably talk to a lot of kids. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a so a lot of kids would be wise to get that. I know. Uh, and back then, that. like thirty-two k a year was pretty good, actually. Yeah. So, like and now, it's like fucking sixty. Oh, I don't know. Oh, yeah. My goodness. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So okay. So you're so like, fast you're gonna forward, do business. Yeah. yeah. So then, so then I went to Cornell and yeah. and, and did business and communication as mm-hmm. my major, much to my father's chagrin. Yeah. Much as many threats of taking me out, um, of school. You know, um, yeah. So I, I kind of um, in in college again. I was just focused on soccer. I didn't really, you know, and getting my just getting my degree. Like yeah. you know, and I, I bachelor in science, and you know, I didn't really have a goal and dream. I did remember. So my my 
sophomore summer, I did, you know, go to LA for the summer okay. and I, I worked for the guys who produced Dumb and Dumber and Kingpin and all You worked for the Farrelly brothers. I worked for a Steve Stabler from Destination Films oh, okay. back then. Okay. Yeah. He was a producer for yeah. those films. And well, um, what, what led you out there? We got a job, um, we internship at this film company, film studio, and I, my sister and I always loved storytelling. I always loved, yeah. we always created stories and wrote adventures. And my, my, like every summer, we had to make $2,000 per per for the summer that would go towards our tuition. Right. So whatever, we could do whatever, as long as we made that $2,000 that we can put that towards our tuition. Right. And it was just more of a token thing, but it was my dad's like way of, and my, my parents' way of like really teaching us like the value of a dollar. And totally so, makes sense. which is important. Yes. And so I did like temping to get the money, but then I went, I, I, we, we wanted to really, um, um, like try, try the film business. Yeah. And so, you know, we, 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 we read scripts all summer and it was oh, yeah. really fun. Oh and yeah. I've had those internships. Oh yeah. I used to do the same thing. I used, I used to do in New York. I would do like, I would like DJ frat parties all year long in college cool save not so much <laughs> save up the money and then like live in new york and do like film internships right amazing and it was like the best time it's the best yeah, yeah. it was just a, a, a peering into a window of like a whole weird world you right? gotta look you gotta look <laughs> you know what i mean you gotta look it's, how could I, you not did that you was enjoy it oh no I, I mean i loved it, it was yeah. novel i lived on a ucl <laughs> My twin sister and I lived in the UCLA campus dorms. Dude, I did the same thing. In a, frat, th- in a fraternity. And we yeah. paid like $200 a month yeah. on like an ant hill. Like it was like our dorm was like, or our like, the frat was like invested with like ants. And like, it was so crazy because like looking back, like I could just never do that now. Yeah. But when you're like 19, you're like, you're like, you're like shaking off your underwear from ants and putting them on as if nothing oh, yeah. happened. You're just like, whatever. Yeah. And we met the most crazy characters in the summers and it was just like an adventure. Yeah. And, um, and so we spent the second summer also doing the same thing mm-hmm. where we went back to LA and this time we like, had raised a little bit of money to make her own first short film oh, called cool. Soccer Dads. Yeah. And it was basically like about two rival dads, you know, like basically were the ones that were more passionate about the soccer game than their, than their daughters. So was that something that you got, that you and your sister had kind of like wanted to do? Like, were you scheming throughout the year to be like, okay, well, we this film mentorship was cool. Like, do we want to make movies? Totally. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh no. So, so if we, we got the, you know, bit the, the filmmaking bug or whatever that I think the bug is. bites the you. bug the bug we got the filmmaking but yeah sorry it's a little early stuff. no no that, no that's good though I like that better yeah we bit the filmmaking bug, bug. <laughs> yeah we bit it <laughs> we totally took a big bite out of it um and uh and we just you know spent um again the next summer back again making our first yeah. short film and then when we got out when we were seniors in college like reality hit right we're like we need to get jobs we have student loans and so we were like, all right, well, what what should we do? And we're like, oh, investment banking. <laughs> You're just like, oh, yeah, I guess we'll do that. I guess we'll yeah. do that. My parents were like, yes, 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 yes. And we're like, oh, God. So And so we basically, oh, my God, this is actually a really funny story. I don't think I've ever told anybody this okay, story. Please. And I'm going to tell you this Thank story. You. So in at Cornell, yeah. if you're a finance major you're able to like, you know, like all these like Goldman Sachs and Merrill Lynch and, right. and like back then like Lehman Brothers and, and, uh, and Bear Stearns and all these different firms would come and recruit on campus, right? Mm-hmm. And they would go to like the Cornell Finance like, you know, school and like, and, and they would interview every, you know, people there and they would people get, would get legit interviews. Right. But then for the, for like the liberal arts slash comm slash non-finance majors like me mm-hmm. and my twin sister, you basically had the opportunity to interview on a first come first serve basis, <laughs> like a cattle call for like a movie, yeah. like, you know, on one day. And so what would happen for is... For all those same companies. For all those same companies. Yeah, okay, okay. And so people would sleep out the night before... <laughs> Like it was like you're sleeping out for a movie ticket for for like for like a show for like a concert tickets and and people would sleep out the night before and and with their suits like on or like pressed and they would sleep on like sleeping bags and they would like throw like hide the sleeping bags and then like the next morning when all the banks would come into like the office everyone would be all ready in line with like their suits on waiting to have this these interviews by these investment banks ultimately it became about it's the airplane test, right? So like basically, which means that 
would these people want to sit next to you on an airplane for the next 24 hours? And like, so ultimately like, are you a culture fit? Right. Mm. So like you basically had to like show that you're, you're, or like just be, you know, you're yourself, but, but they would have to want to have you be like in your office. Right. Yeah. And, and also you provide a liberal arts you know, perspective because a finance perspective is only one perspective and they always need some people to come in to have different perspectives, which I think, which I, which I respect. Mm -hmm. And so, and so I remember my twin sister was in front of me and I was behind her. Mm. And when we would go in, I'm seeing a pattern here. When we would go, (laughs) when we would go into these, into these interviews, I would go right after her and they'd be like, we, didn't we just interview you? (laughs) And I'm like, oh no, that's my identical twin sister. Yeah. (laughs) And it was just so funny because they never saw that in their, in their entire experience before for whatever reason and you know we both somehow got final rounded to like all of the investment banks Wow! and it was so fun because we got to then go to new york city for the first time yeah and well i got i went to this for the second but, time okay, but did you guys but so but you didn't go to school for finance so like did you have like knowledge of that world? zero nothing <laughs> absolutely <laughs> nothing oh my god here's the other part that was hilarious they were like okay they're gonna ask you brain teasers yeah. So like, so like, we spent like the the whole week prior, like, hoping to get one of these brain teasers that that we had pre like, you know, pre rehearsed. This is like Rosie Perez in White Man Can't Jump. Oh no, it was on Jeopardy. It was literally so like so like <laughs> so like some of the brain teasers are like it's three fifteen on the analog clock. How many degrees are between the hour hand and the minute hand? None. Nope. Fail. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank the new TV show, Good Behavior, which is on TNT, for sponsoring today's episode. As I mentioned earlier, I am totally hooked on this show already. It's really like anything I've seen before. Uh, The characters are fresh and complex, and the plot keeps taking all these twists and turns that you don't see coming. It's highly addictive. The show stars Michelle Dockery, who you may know from Downton Abbey. She plays Letty Rains a thief and con artist whose life is always one wrong turn or one bad decision from implosion. Fresh out of prison, Letty tries to stay afloat, reunite with her 10-year-old son, and show up for the mandatory check-ins with her parole officer, who carries his own demons. Chaos returns to Letty's life when she overhears a hitman being hired to kill a man's wife and sets out to derail the job. Yeah, like I said, you've, you've never seen a show like this before. It airs on Tuesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, or you can check it out anytime at TNTdrama.com. I cannot recommend it enough. And remember that TNT will be live tweeting every episode. Follow along with the hashtag goodbehavior. Okay, back to the show. So that was one of the quizzes. Could you imagine sitting in front of five people and having to do that in in person on in a suit, sweating from like the night before? Like... Oh yeah, having oh, those kinds Jesus. of brain teasers or like all these kinds of questions and randomly and luckily we got a brain teaser that we had rehearsed. No way. <laughs> yes, out of like the millions. No way. Oh my god. And so we were like friggin like it was just unbelievable. And so we just got lucky on on all the, like it just, you know, luck plays a role in every single part of everyone's of lives and we does. cannot pretend like we're fucking bigger than bigger than whatever we're not like we luck plays a huge role right time right place right whatever but that's not enough though too because you also need to be prepared for when it comes for sure you know what i mean no no for sure but like in that moment i felt real lucky yeah and so um and so basically we both got through that we got final rounded and then oh my god at the final round interview they had a big i'll never forget we had a big inter- dinner with Citibank, and i sat next to like the managing director and i was like talking animatedly and i spilled a whole glass of red wine on the woman's dress <laughs> it was like the biggest it was like that moment where i was just like well did you just, yeah did you just look at her and be like thank well, you very much thank, no i literally did that i was like i'm out of here and she got so pissed like she was like one of those, you know, like people who would get really pissed, not like, oh man, don't worry about it, like freaked out. Yeah. And I definitely did not get the call back from Citibank. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I ended up getting a job at at at, at Douche Bank, Deutsche Bank. A Douche Bank. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. okay, so you're in New York, you're an investment banker now. Yeah. And then so I'm Did in, you give up on like the film? The film pursuits? Well, no. So I spent my uh, some of my weekends, because I hated investment banking so much, I spent my weekends calling my parents and interviewing them a lot of times and going to my, see my parents who, lived, who moved to Connecticut, Montreal, 
and and just ask them about their love story because I was writing a feature length screenplay about their love story. So yeah. I actually have a feature length. I've written two feature length screenplays, um, one um, about my sem- semester abroad in London, yep. um, and one about um, my parents' love story. Very cool. And actually, this is, gosh, so okay. So 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 I started my investment banking job. Yeah. At Deutsche Bank. My subway stop every single morning was Two World Trade Center. Okay. I officially started my job September 1st, 2001. Okay. Yeah, so... Okay. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, the, the usual thing. So, I basically did a training program for the two months prior to get, like, to get any knowledge on finance because I had none. Uh-huh. I was, like, the dunce in the crew who, like... <laughs> would be the one at staying late, asking questions, like having zero, like some people like who are financial, like, ha, 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 this is a breeze. Ah, ha, ha. And I was like, I literally, I don't understand anything that's happening right here. It was like, and I felt, I've never felt more like, I never felt more out of place yeah. than being in the, the investment banking analyst training program in my life. Everyone was wearing pearls. Everyone was wearing pantsuits. Everyone was like wearing heels. Everyone was trying to fit in. And of course me, I was just like <laughs> wearing like heels, pantsuit, looking like a complete idiot. Yeah. Like really. Just like feeling like just, I just felt like such a fraud the yeah. entire time. And I was just, I was like, what am I doing? But I just, my sister and I luckily were both going, pay, going through the pains together. That's good. And not in the same da- bank. We both got jobs at different investment banks in the same group, real estate investment banking. Okay. It's crazy. And so it was just hilarious. We just would call each other like crying like every day being like, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah. Because it's then also like, what do you talk to those people about? Nothing. I, <laughs> I was like, I had no friends. Like, yeah. and I was like the most, I had so many friends in college. I wasn't like a big loser everywhere. <laughs> like I was, I had literally like no friends in yeah. like the bank you know and so I was just like this is and so I remember I would during training I would well I had two friends that's not true I had two friends not in my group but I had two friends in different groups during training I made these two friends and um and so we were were training down in you know and during World Trade Center area for two months prior I started my job and I would basically get tea with my girlfriend from from for the first two weeks I would just get tea with my girlfriend who worked the hundredth floor of two world trade center at Aon okay and I would walk across the street to my job at two world trade center um, we know what happened yeah. 11 days later. Yeah. Um, 700 people in my girlfriend's office died on that day. Wow. Two people in my Did office died on, my, on that day. Really? And that was the first and only day in my life that I slept through my alarm clock. The only day in my life, I am the lightest sleeper. Like every single day, like if a little like sounds, I wake up. Like even to this day, I've, the only one day in my life that I slept through my alarm clock was 9-11, and I was supposed to be there on that day. Crazy. Crazy. I'm letting this, again, like, let me just let this soak in for a second. I'm just, that's so intense. So intense. And I remember when I woke up at 10 a.m. that morning, I freaked the fuck out because yeah. I had just started my job officially, and I was like, ah, and I would call, I was calling a car service to try to just, I was like calling and calling, like the line was busy, and I was like, it's 10 a.m., why are lines busy? And I called and called and called and called and called, and finally somebody picked up, and all I heard, I was like, I need a car service, and then the, all the person said was, turn your TV on, click. Think about it, out of context, when no one's, you have no idea what's going on, you're like, turn your TV on, like, what do you mean? Like, you, and you're like, Ugh. and no, you call, uh, and it was busy, and then I just, fuck it. I just turned the TV on. Yeah. And I was like, holy. And I checked my phone. I had hundreds of like emails of freak out for people freaking out. And like, I called all my family. I was like, I'm okay. And everyone's crying. It was just like insane. Yeah. I had the same experience. I have, I have some, a friend had called me and woken me up out of bed and just said like, turn the TV on and then like hung up the phone. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, so Yeah. Yeah. So that put me on. I really have nothing on, to say about that. This, set me on. A, that set me on a completely new path of yeah. fulfilling my dreams. And you want to hear something so fucking crazy? My first screenplay about my semester abroad uh-huh. was about, and I don't think I've ever said this to anyone either, really, in any interview. Okay. Was about my semester. This is 2000 when Bin Laden started to um, bomb buildings mm-hmm. in Belgium and start to like bomb consulates and then start to really create these scary like fear in, in people. Mm-hmm. Right. And so in my, in my, in my boyfriend at the time who's now my best friend. He was doing an internship at the Pentagon in counterterrorism. And I was doing a semester abroad working for the Lord in the house of the Lords. And so in my screenplay I had, I was the intern and the intern 
basically stumbled upon her lord in the house of lords who was getting blackmailed by bin laden and his cohorts to steal the blueprints of an eu building in belgium to bomb and she stumbles upon it basically calls her boyfriend who works at the pentagon in counterterrorism who's a, who's a military marine yeah. who she is yeah and it's the two kids who save the day kind of like toy soldier you know the yeah, movie yeah, toy course, soldier which i love yeah. like they kill you know they, they yeah. you know fight the terrorists and whatever yeah it was like that kind of action adventure i love action adventures yeah. and so Bin Laden is in my screenplay. Oh my god! And then, and then, nine eleven happened, and a week before nine eleven, I had my mother send me the one hard copy of my screenplay about my semester abroad to my office, at, directly across the World Trade Center, and because my computer, my personal computer, had crashed, and I had only one hard copy left, so I wanted to spend the next few weeks, you know, retranscribing it, right. and so the manila envelope with the screenplay that had been laden in it was sitting on my desk at my investment banking office that had been basically half decimated by the by through 9 11 and then so three weeks after 9 11 the investment bank deutsche bank was sending in one person per investment banking group to retrieve critical documents for the group and i and, and they said we're looking for volunteers for each group and I was the only volunteer in my entire investment banking group who volunteered. I said, listen, I'm short. I've got 20-20 vision. I'm wiry. I can squeeze through any little holes. Let me be that person. Because in my back of my mind, I was like, I kind of want to see if I can find my screenplay. Yeah. I'm not even kidding. Look, I totally understand. And because I spent the last two years working on it. I and I had no, I had one hard copy left. And it was like crazy because I've been a lot. It felt like the movie with, um, it was like, uh, it was like, what's that movie where the guy writes a screenplay and he's his voice of the screen, like adaptation. Adaptation. It literally, it, it like, I feel like I need to write the film about me going to retrieve the film about the bin. It was like about the terrorism. Right. Like it was just like, and so basically, so I go in. So basically, I'm the only volunteer. All the investment bankers, he's like big dudes, only volunteer right. is little Mickey. Like, right. you know, and I, I basically have to go through like asbestos training, yeah. physical fitness test, mask fitting class, you know, all these different things like emergency tests, emergency scenarios. And the day came where I had to go to the still kind of slightly like, you know, like smoldering, smoldering yeah. area and go and I met a Marine at the base camp of like the World Trade Center, put on two gas, two moon suits, yep. gas mask, goggles, yeah. and a flashlight, and a nine page list for my investment banking group of all the things I needed to retrieve. And I went into the building. What was that like? It was the most intense experience of my life i have to tell you and that's I feel, crazy because you, I, you never you know I've, i feel like i've read a lot of information about all this i've stuff. never told I've a story ne- in my I've life i've never heard of anything like this happening it's insane because yeah. i just because because people there's no there's, i don't know it just never yeah. came up yeah and so i basically saw like imagine if you walk into investment banking building there's a golden staircase mezzanine level with this big like water fountain and this big terrace and this gorgeous like billion dollar Right, and now imagine it being a rubble. Yeah. In New York City, rubble. Yeah. Like as if it's like, 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 th- like, like Beirut. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like in the worst times. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's like crazy. Like it was just insane to, to know what it was like before and then to walk into the same space and just look around and just say, is this where I worked? You know? Yeah. And then it was so intense to discover and learn that NYPD had basically pillaged all of the banks, so many of the banks, they went in, and and NYPD and FDNY, a lot of people went and stole, like from like the jewelry stores, from like all the downstairs, took all the jewelry, because they're like, you know, they could, because it was all rubble, and they stole the computers, and stole all the stuff, and stole like, so many computers were gone, it was so eerie, and um, and then there was like this. There was like there was like three inches worth of white that white powder dust everywhere, and all of these FDNY people had made done finger art of like the World Trade Center with planes flying into them, and it was finger art of this like all over. And I I have these. I had a disposable camera. It was not to take cameras, but I became friends with the Marine, yeah. so he let me sneak in one disposable camera, and I had, still have those, some of those pictures at home, and like. 
and it's you can't really make it out, but it's like it was finger art of what people like falling out of the buildings. It was just the most eerie, insane experience of my life. Wow. And I was able to go into the side that got shrapneled. So you know how like so much shrapnel fell from the World Trade Center and, and destroyed all the adjacent buildings? Mm-hmm. So my building was adjacent to World Trade Center 2. And so half of the building was destroyed. And the other half happened to be my half that wasn't really destroyed. I mean, all the cubicles were torn down. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, it was just like, it was just smashed down, but it wasn't destroyed. It was just like through the shaking. Yeah. It, you know, but the other side was completely destroyed. And so the Marine, you're not allowed, there's parts that you just could not go into, but because we'd become friends and I was like, I'm a soccer player, like yada, yada. He let us go through, let us go into the do not enter zone to see the side that was completely destroyed. And it was straight up out of a movie. Like you could not make the shit up. You could not make it up. And of course at the time, you didn't really know the effects of asbestos. I remember taking off my mask to take some pictures and like, Stuff like that, which was probably a bad, probably probably developed a thyroid condition from that. I don't know. Like yeah. I definitely had a hyperthyroid condition developed a few years later. I'm wondering if now that I'm thinking about it, I wonder if it was from that. But um, but anyway, it was just like crazy experience. Did you find the script? I found the screenplay in the manila envelope with my mom's handwriting in the front of it. Oh my god. And it was dusty and I dusted off. It was like literally finding like the ring in Lord of the Rings. I'm not even kidding. Like imagine flashlight. Like it was crazy. So now I have to make the movie. Like it hasn't, obviously it's been, it's been sitting since 2001. So I'm guessing you kind of changed your career path after this. Oh my God. You betcha. What was, as Sarah Palin would say. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. Um, I, this is the, this is the real realization that holy shit, you know, the mystery of life is you never know when it's going to end. You just never fucking know. There's one certainty in life is that we're going to die. It's a question of how and when. Well, what what did you want to do with that knowledge? So I wanted to, so that's when I basically tried out for the New York Magic professional soccer team. Yeah. And I found out they were holding tryouts. And I snuck out of my investment banking job two days a week for two and a half straight months to go and try out for the New York Magic soccer team. Wow. And every single practice they would whittle down. I was like against a hundred D one players. And I, I hadn't, I mean, I trained, but not like uh, as much as all these women who had been playing. And I remember I had to like stretch in the car service on the way there. I'd befriended the front desk guys at the investment bank and the car service people. And I was like, listen, after nine 11, people were much tighter. And I was like, let me help me fulfill my dreams. And so the front desk people at the Deutsche bank would, would hold, would hide my, my soccer bag behind the front desk. You know, how they're not allowed to hide mm-hmm. anything. They hid my soccer bag. And at five o'clock, they would walk it to the, to my, to my car service guy, which is investment banks, car service guy. Mm-hmm. So you weren't allowed to do that. And you put it in the, car and I would have the guy drive one block away and I would walk I would walk out of the investment bank with a FedEx box as if I was going to FedEx and I would basically walk down one block I would get in the car like roll up the windows I would like go 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 and it, would, it was literally like fucking James Bond shit and I, in the car I would change into my soccer outfit I would basically stretch in the car right. play like up music and then the car service guy would wait for me for two and a half hours and then drive me back to the investment bank after damn I mean, it was like these people were like helping me like fulfill my dreams. Just like these angels. These angels. Life. These Seriously. angels yeah. made the team, made the starting lineup. <laughs> and I was all set to quit my investment banking job. Uh-huh. I was like, let me just play my first game of the season. And, you, get, and you, get, you, you can like make a living playing. No. No. Okay. But you get everything. I would. I would have. I saved up some money, and mm-hmm. I would have. I paid off my. Well, no, I didn't pay off my loans. But I basically, you know, I could. I was paying off like two hundred fifty dollars a month, so I could. You know, I spent the next ten years paying. I mean, like I. Didn't, I could have paid it off pretty quickly, but I just. It was pretty much no interest. But whatever. you don't get like a salary to like to. Not for this. Not for this league. So it was basically like the farm team for the power, mm-hmm. right? So it's a professional league. Is WSA league, but it wasn't like the New York Power. All the New York Power made nothing either, really. So this was like the professional league, right? And so and so. I had to get another job, but I was going to just take a hiatus and just play and then just, and then, and then get like, and then get back in the film business, which I wanted to do anyway. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and so I said, so I basically said, okay, I'm going to make the team. I made the team, made the starting lineup. And then first game of the season, I was like, I'm not going to quit my job yet because I hated it so much. I was like, 
Oh my God. Like, ugh. Um, first game of the season, got the ball, juke past a couple of players, crossed the ball, striker hit it in the back of the net. Within eight minutes, I had like an assist, my first professional in quotes right. game of the, of the ever. Mm-hmm. And in that very same moment, a defender came and took out my knee. After the play? Right at the play. Oh, like as the, I, just as I kicked, it was across the ball. She took out, she tried to come in, yeah. took out my knee and heard the telltale snap and tore my ACL. First game of the season. So I had to stay at the health, ins- I, had to, I had to stay at the investment bank to get the very best health insurance, right. the very best physical therapy. Right. And then I went back out the following year, made the team again the following season, made the starting lineup again the following season. And then the semifinal game tore my other ACL. And so that's when I was like, okay, universe, got yeah. it. Not yeah. my calling. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Well, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Because I think, I think something like that would like crush a lot of people. In, oh, in, it was in crushing. A, I saw Not for, that it wasn't crushing for you, but you know, some people like it. You could, you could kill somebody's spirit with that kind of thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. When like sports is like your entire, and I'm not saying sports was your entire life, but you know, like you yeah. see what that does to people. That's not good. So but yeah. you powered through. Yeah, so it was a moment. It was a real moment of just like, all right, this is a chapter that's ending. Like yeah. I'm no like, okay, my soccer days are pretty much like over, mm-hmm. but I feel like I did everything I could to get to this level, and right. that's it. You that, know, you know, and like I think that's 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 kind of one of the best feelings. Like if you know, because you know, I you know, I pitch on a lot of jobs. Yeah, you know, and you don't get them. You don't yeah. get most of them. You know, it's like such a competitive field. Yeah, but it's like if I can like walk away from a pitch or a treatment and being like, well, I did like the best job I did. It's like the only way you can like keep going forward without letting you just beat you down right. over and over again, you know? Right. Oh my God. Oh my God. It can. And then that's, I will tell you the one thing that sports taught me playing soccer is that every play is a new play. Mm-hmm. And even if you get beaten or even if you lose to a game, there's always the next play and you have right. to be zero, zero again. Right. And you can't let the last play hold you down. So you have to be present throughout and you have to, you can't look back. You have to look forward all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like looking at the project trajectory of my entrepreneurial life, yeah. like as I had some serious setbacks, like, I just never look back. Right. I'm like, all right, I learned from it. Fucking moving forward. We're moving. Like I'm Keep not going. dwelling. Like one thing my twin sister and I don't do is dwell. Mm-hmm. We just don't dwell. Like there's just no time. Like there's life no is time. so short. Yeah. Like we just don't have time to dwell. Let's yeah. just keep moving. And I think that's really served us. And I think the thing that's really, really taught us that is sports. That's great. So, so, so you're back at the investment bank. You're getting your health care. Yep. What's and then, going through your mind? Well, then I, no, no. I, so at, after, I, after my first year and I, and I, before I tore my second ACL, I quit, I quit the investment okay. banking job. And then I got a job in the film business. Okay, doing what? Yeah. Associate producer at a production company. What company? Um, it, at the time it was called Urban Myth Media. Okay. <laughs> um, and I was an associate producer. What kind of stuff were you doing? Um, commercials and music videos. Yeah. So I worked on like a SEAL music video. And I worked yeah. on like... You know, Mary J. Blige video back when she, you know, she was back cool. when there were like budgets for videos. Oh yeah, you know? and I worked on like you know, you know, a Beyonce like Calvin Klein commercial, and I worked yeah. on a bunch of stuff, cool. um, which was really cool. Um, b- back when Beyonce was just tiny, like yeah. still not, not not the queen with a K that she is now. Right. You know, right. capital, um, K. capital. I mean, yeah. she is just a she's she's more like goddess like. Yeah. But um, so um. Yeah, so 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 that I was able to like really really learn about project management. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I realized working as an associate producer was that I was like done with a 9 to 5 for yeah. myself at the yeah. time. I just was unemployable. I didn't I wasn't inspired by my bosses. I wasn't inspired by the people I was working with and I was like I need to just go off on my own. And um Wait, oh, while you were working at the production company. Yeah, and okay. so I basically decided to go freelance. Yeah. And so freelance, you have more control over your time and your destiny right. as far as like what you, which projects you're working on. Although the scary part is you don't know when your next paycheck's coming, Complete, right? And it's like that, that, that fear like never goes away. Uh, it was so, it was just like, you know, and then you start saying yes to every job and then you don't know when it's going to end because you don't, you're too scared to save up. It's just like a if, cycle. Because if, yeah, if you say if you no, say no then never, maybe you're never going to get in. They're not going to work ever And they're again. not going to call you back because yeah. you said no and then everyone else wants the same job and you're one of many yeah. and whatever. It was such a cycle, a vicious cycle. And I remember I... I totally get it. Ugh. You know? Oh it. my God. And I was, so I was working on these sets yeah. of com- commercial music videos as an, started off as a PA, picking up trash, getting mm-hmm. director's coffee, mm-hmm. driving director's producers around, yep. 
being a gopher and then very quickly became an office PA because I'm like, I went to Cornell. I worked in finance. Like, I can do this office stuff. Like, right. you know? And so, and of course, they didn't give it a shit that I went to Cornell or investment bank. They're like, can you do the job? Shut the fuck up and do yeah. the job. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. So that's when I was like, yeah, never say that again. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And um, <laughs> it was a big lesson in the hard school of hard knocks. Um, yeah. And um, and so, um, yeah, so, so, um, so, so then, so then I, I just worked my way up quick, you know, fairly quickly to production managing, production mm-hmm. coordinating, then producing small, small things like very quickly. So that was cool. Um, I learned, I learned the project management thing pretty quickly. Um, and, uh, and then during that time was when I discovered when I had my first aha moment of my first business. Okay. So I was basically working on these sets all day long and as like a, you know, young hustler who doesn't like to spend money because you're working on these sets, you're basically eating craft service all day long, right? Yeah, I I think I know where this is going. Yeah, Yeah. and you're just eating crappy processed pigs in the blanket, like fucking garbage garbage all day long. And because you're a little cheap and you don't have much money and because you're still paying off your student loan, you don't know your next paycheck's coming, you're freelance, you're just eating the crap. You're eating crap, you're working crazy hours. Hours, and you're not thinking, you're just... just, Your body just wants that salt, that sugar. Sugar, it's just bad. And and I grew up eating clean in Montreal, like... Mm -hmm home cooked meals every day even cornell the food was great like and you know i just i just ate for the most part clean food so my body was rejecting this food mm-hmm. and i would break out in hives and i would get like i would just get like just itchy and i would get stomach aches and horrible stomach aches every single day coming back home but my stupid mind was just like still eat that crap yeah. you know cuz you're just in that vicious cycle and it's right there it's available it's free you know and so I just, um, and then I, I just finally said enough is enough. And then I just researched it. And in my research, discovered the massive processed food industry, discovered the huge, huge, huge problems that, you know, were, that humans were facing in today's world. Over a billion obese people, in addition to a billion hungry people. Crazy. I, you know, um, you know, I just, uh, I guess the thing is, you know, like I used to find comfort in all that food. I used to like reward myself right. with that kind of food. And, it's uh, garbage. We, we read this book and like, I was like, I'll never give this up. Like, this is where I, I find pleasure from eating these, like this junk food. And once I looked at it as a way where like these companies like spend millions of dollars. Trying to, like, to make you trying addicted. To fuck you. Totally. Up, you know, like they totally. try to fuck you up. Like, it's like, it was easy for me to be like, this Which is... Which then fuels the pharmaceutical industry. Well, so they're it, probably best yeah. friends. It's like, you know, you know, when they're like, you know, we have scientists working on like how we can make the shape of this chip so you'll never be able to like stop eating it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Come on. Seriously. Seriously. We, uh, I forget. I'll, I'll show you the book after it's over there. Um, but it's like when, when, it, when it was easier for me to look at it as like, this is stuff that people are like trying to poison you with. It was so easy to be like, I don't need that stuff. Anymore, right. You know? Ugh. And that's, and that's the thing too, you know, cause I try, I try, I've like, I've actively like tried to make, you know, meals on set be something that's not a last minute thing where it's like, oh, let's, let's get this. Right. Let's grab this pizza right now. We right. can get a bunch of pizza for people. It's like, like you get like vegetable, like hummus and carrots, and you can start to get like some more like you know cut broccoli, and you can have like little you know vegetable platter. So I then started researching my favorite comfort foods that I had given up, mm. which was pizza, mm-hmm. and I was like, wow, pizza is a you know actually considered a thalamus food if done right. It has all the food groups in it. Mm-hmm. Vegetable. It's got like the grains if done right. It's got like, I mean, if, you know, the right, the right grains. If you have protein. If you have the protein, yeah. it's got like the, you know, it's got, it's got the things that you can. That's why, that's why people crave pizza mm-hmm. because it's meant to satiate all of your, the food groups, which is, which is literally why you do. But, but now pizza was made with bleached flour, processed cheese, sugar-filled sauces, right. processed toppings, pepperoni, crap, crap, crap upon crap upon right. crap. And so it's, really helping in the billion obesity problem in the world. And I was like, holy shit, the pizza industry is a $32 billion industry. Americans eat 100 acres of pizza every single day. This is friggin' ridiculous. And I started looking around in, in all of New York City to find an alternative pizza place. That was delicious. That didn't taste like cardboard. That wasn't gross. That was actually delicious and good for me. Could not find one. Mm -hmm. So that was my first ding, ding, ding idea. Yeah. <gasps> what if I could create a pair? What if I can create a pizza place? Right. That um, 
an alternative pizza place that offered our favorite comfort food, but with gluten-free or unbleached flowers and whole grains, hormone-free cheeses, local seasonal toppings, Mm -hmm. local cheeses from local farms. You know, instead of using sugar to cut the acid quickly, use fresh carrots and fresh onions, slow cook them over time, and let them naturally caramelize, and then make sauce that way. And that sweetens the sauce. Mm -hmm. Like, that's it. And we've now since become fully gluten-free as of like four years ago. But, um, you know, all of those back then, no one was doing this. 2004, no one was talking about organic, local, gluten-free farm-to-table ever. No. And so in 2005, when I went to raise the money and started to like really make this happen, that was the hardest thing I've ever done. And, and, and you know, if you read my book, like it really walks you through the whole process of how I built my first business with zero experience, never raised money, never built a, a storefront, never did anything you know, like this ever in my life. And right. every mistake I made, I, I laid out in the book. Mm-hmm. Exactly all the successes that I had, I laid out in the book. All the emails I've written, I write down exactly what emails I wrote and how I wrote them yeah. so people can see what I did right. and maybe like not don't do word for word, but just see what I did to get to where I'm at. And this way it can give you a bit of a mini roadmap. It's kind of like the way I think about it. It's like pulling back the curtain, wizard of Oz. Right. It's not scary when you see how someone else did it. Mm-hmm. You know, some asshole wrote some, some like review on my book and was like, you know, this is very idiosyncratic and you know, and then they're like, you know, she has some pretty good uh, takeaways, but it's overall it's pretty idiosyncratic as it, it's a like her story. It's like, yeah, it's my story. My whole point is you should yeah. take, Take whatever you want to wait, take away whatever you want from my story. But like the whole point is that I'm trying to open up the curtain to my life right. to give you a perspective on right. that. It's not, it's not as scary as you think to take that leap. That's like the whole reason we do, I do this podcast, you know, just to hear people tell their, share their stories. Oh my Everybody's God. Every story is different. That's and it. something to be gleaned from everyone. That's the thing. You and know? so I literally was writing a Twitter post and I actually did tweet back. I'm like, like, you know, like, at least I'm in the ring, like, you know, instead of, you know, whatever. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm you not even, you can't read I can't, the I can't, can't read I just comments. can't. So just, I just deleted it and I'm just yeah. like, I'm just rising above. But sometimes I'm just like, man, people are so quick to judge, so quick to put down, because so quick to be an asshole, so quick to write an, a nasty comment and be a troll when people are just doing the best they can to just to put their best foot forward in the world and they're putting their hats in the ring and they're getting a bloody nose and they're getting punched in the face right. and, 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 and recovering and getting back up. And just like, and just for that reason is why I respect Hillary Clinton, mm. honestly, because mm-hmm. she has been fucking punched to the gut and in the face and each eyeball and, and, in, still, and still just still fucking going. jumps yeah. back up and just keeps going. Well, that's the thing. It's like, you know, I, when people say those kinds of things or like, you know, I've read, I've read comments on my work a couple of times and it's just, it's just people working out their own issues. It's like, it has nothing to do with you. It doesn't, but it's just like, I know, I, I, know, I know, you know, and it's just like, we're human beings. I'm an empath. Like I read an article like most recently and one, one comment yeah. was like, you know, about being an empath. Is that what you're talking about? Oh, no, 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 oh, no, okay. no, no, sorry, no. Sorry. Just, 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 I'm an empath as in like, I take, like sometimes I take on people's energies right. and my coach, I have an amazing life leadership coach. Um, and she's like, you got to zip it up. You know, you got to zip up, you know, you zip up yourself. So you're not taking in all of other people's external shit right. and taking it on. You know, I read one article when someone was like, you know, it was an article that was kind of like a little catty, a little bitchy. And one of the comments was like, you know, Mickey's awful, you know, whatever. And I'm just like, you don't know me. Yeah. Like what, how could you, how could you put that into the world? in that way with such poison right. when you, we've never even met. Right. Like, why? Why? And all I'm trying to do is liberate women from period shame. <laughs> you know, yeah. through innovation. So so, so now moving to Thinks, you know, Thinks is also born of necessity just like my stomach aches mm-hmm. and really just wanted to create a pair of underwear that supported us on our periods. A pair that didn't let me leak on my period. Like, I'm wearing them right now. I'm mm-hmm. imminently about to start my period. I don't know exactly when, so I'm right. wearing Thinks. I don't have to, I'm wearing all white. Yeah. I don't have to worry about yeah. having an accident an accident yeah. you know and so really the the idea was born just to solve that pain point for women like how many pairs of underwear have every woman you know who's listening or who's not or who's sitting in this you know in any room like has experienced that leak that stain that <gasps> moment where you're like oh shit did i just yeah. leak through and am, am I, is there a stain on my butt like oh yeah. my god and it's that sweat around my waist move it's a very real feeling 
And so the problem number one was just like, can we solve, can we just make periods easier to experience? And so we spent the next three and a half years developing this technology in women's underwear. And of course, having zero experience in anything like, yeah. like, like before. Were you going to like labs and stuff? And just like, calling like, every okay. kind of lab possible. Yeah. You know, myself, my two co-founders were just like really just trying to make it happen. And, um, and that's what took three and a half years because it had to really, really work, right? Yes. So the first thing is it has to look and feel like a regular pair of underwear. Right. I have to be as a woman. I have to want to actually wear it. It can't feel bulky. It can't feel sweaty. It can't feel like, like a, diaper. a diaper. It yeah. can't feel plasticky. It can't feel pad. It has to feel like I'm literally slipping into a sexy, beautiful pair of underwear. Right. Like that's baseline. Then it has to be moisture wicking. So if I bleed into them, I can't feel wet. Mm-hmm. I have to feel dry. Like mm-hmm. I don't want to feel like I'm sitting in a pool of blood. Right. right. It has to be antimicrobial. Like I don't want germs right. while I'm de- while I'm on my period. When I'm my when I'm on my period, I'm like a world class cleaner. Yeah. Like I need to be cleaning all the time because I'm nesting. Right. 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 And so every month I can tell I just want to shop and I want to like clean. Yeah. Like it's so crazy visceral what I go through on my when I'm like, oh, here I'm about to get my period because I want to clean and I want to shop. Right. And so it's crazy. Right. It's wild. It's like I'm and I'm not a stereotype, but I am right. like because it's it's just it's women. It's human. Mm-hmm. And so it has to be antimicrobial. And it has to be absorbent. It has to absorb at least two full tampons worth of blood. So it needs to be a micro-thin absorbent layer. Because if you do decide to bleed into them and not wear a tampon, it has to hold at least two tampons worth of blood. Right. Because you don't want to change in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. You're able to go a whole day, not feel wet, not feel like you've germy, has to absorb enough, and it has to be leak-proof and breathable. So that's a tall order. And did so, you realize that at the beginning? That, no. Like these... Oh, no. No. That was... <laughs> you're just like, oh, damn it, another thing? Yeah. Oh, shoot. shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you're two and a half years in, and you're like, I think I got it. I think I got it. And then you put it on, and you throw it through the washing machine, the whole thing buckles. Right. And then you're like, I'm going to kill myself. But you're like, man, I'm two and a half... We're two and a half gotta years in. Going. Gotta keep going. Gotta Can't, keep going. Can't... Gotta fucking keep going. Yeah. And you put in like the Rocky soundtrack and you're just like <laughs> punching in the air, punching yourself in the face. And you're just like, I'm yeah. just going. And that's what took us almost four years and th- three and a half years to develop. And, um, and you know, and the product like speaks for itself. Yeah. And obviously we keep improving and we keep learning. And my favorite saying my team will tell you is iteration is perfection. Mm-hmm. It's the iterative process that makes things perfect. The minute you stay stagnant is when you die. Right. right? It's just like, like anything. Life is when you're moving. When you, st- when you stop, you're basically dead. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, and so I really believe in that. So we're constantly iterating, whether it's our website, constantly iterating our product. We're listening, we're iterating, we're listening, we're iterating, we're listening. Do you iterating. have like a close relationship with like the people that like use your product and stuff? Oh my God. Because I mean, like- we, we only sell direct to consumer. Okay. We don't sell in any store. Mm-hmm. The only place you can buy our product is on our website. Wow. And so... Um, and so people, like, we have a very real relationship with our customers. And we do monthly meetups at our in New York. Oh, cool. We're, I'm about to go on a, on a um, five-city taboo tour. Okay. And uh, and basically going to have, you know, local taboo breakers come and have a discussion about what it takes to break taboos. Yeah. So this past, this past week in New York, we had, you know, um, our incredible trans model who was in our, in our subway ads mm-hmm. um, and breaking the, the, the taboo of being transgender. Mm-hmm. We had this woman who is breaking the um, sex taboo. Um, she sells condoms for, for girls, uh, okay. for women, okay. for women to hold. So it's really about empowering um, women to hold tampons. Yeah. yeah, sustained condoms. And then... Oh, I interviewed her. Amika, she's yeah. great. I, I love her. I interviewed her a couple weeks ago. She's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then and then I had my coach, Lauren Zander, who's one of the most successful life coaches in the country. She has um, her, her coaching practice, the Handel Group. Um, you know, she is my coach. And, uh, and, and we basically, she broke, she was breaking the taboo on life coaching because there's right. such taboos around having a life coach and what that means, right. you know? And so we really went through it all and talked about period taboos. And it was such a refreshing, amazing conversation and all the things you don't want to talk about, we talked about. Right. And it was just, it was so real. Everyone felt liberated. Everyone felt they learned something so visceral. Like I learned something so important in my own t- panel, which was, Wow, like when Sawyer, who's a trans male, when he was talking about how when he sat in the shoes of a woman and then sat in the shoes of a man, the difference of what society like threw on him, right? Mm. Like the sexism, like all of the different, like what it's like to be a woman and what's it like, what it's like to be a man and be that same person. He's the same person, but to experience the shame and all the different things that society puts on you yeah. as a woman versus a man. He got to tell 
that's both sides yeah. and talk about it. It yeah. was the most fascinating just sitting and sitting is thinking about what it's like to sit in those shoes. Right. And he's just the same human. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, so it was really fascinating just building this product. And what, what was so cool about creating things and creating the, the product is that it really, really addressed one of the most visceral shames that, that women feel, which is right. a shame around the period. And so as a result, it kind of shoved me in like the conversation of feminism, mm -hmm. shoved me in the conversation of, you know, of, of the real inequalities within the genders. Mm -hmm. And it shoved me in the conversation of, of shame that women experience. And, and not that, not like it was a good shove, you know, like right. I call it a good shove, but it wasn't my, it, it wasn't like an initial goal was to be having these conversations around feminism. It just happened because right. we, through our innovation, we were able to change conversations around the period, which then made people comfortable to talk about something that was so shameful, which then liberated people to talk about things that were shameful. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it came, it became this crazy cycle yeah. to really address these things. And so... So then we were like, wow, we need to double down on really talking about these things that people don't want to talk about because, man, it's 2016. Like, we should be talking about everything. We have access to information about everything, and yet yeah. there's still this societal, like, bullshit that we have to, like, succumb to, and why? And so that's when it's become so fun to really start talking about things that people don't want to talk about. I love it. I love making people uncomfortable, but then building that bridge of understanding right. and not doing it in a way that's crass or that's ugly or that's uncouth or that's whatever. It's just being like, hey, let's just talk about it. Like humans, like real, yeah. like it's real talk here. Yeah. And people love it. They feel liberated. Of course. Yeah. That's, that's really beautiful. What, how is doing things, how has it changed you? I mean, I guess you mentioned a little bit more about like, you know, the aspect of feminism coming into oh, yeah. your, your purview of the, of this, of this project. You oh know? yeah. Like, it but, made, it, it made me so like wave the flag of feminism. Mm -hmm. It's made me really, really understand the plight of women. Yeah. It really, really like, and not just women, but like the whole concept of intersectional feminism. Yeah. Right. So like, you know, being a, a woman of color and being a woman, like those things do matter, mm -hmm. you know, just being a person of color. It's like the concept of un until everyone's equal, no one's equal. Right. right. And so it's, it's so real. And so I just, um, I just, you know, I'm just learning all this stuff myself and it's so fun to be able to now to continue to learn every day from different people who have different their own like I, I like to say brushstrokes. Right. They all have their own brushstrokes of their own viewpoints of feminism, of what intersectional feminism is, of what racism, of prejudices, all these different things that people try to shove underneath a rug and say it doesn't exist. What do you mean? Like the Republicans do, you know? <laughs> no, but it's, it's like, real. It's like, the power of also saying like I don't know. And, like, the power of being able to, like, be open to learning. Oh, my God. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I learn from my, my peers. I learn from our customers. I learn from my employees. I learn from my team. I learn from I learn from everyone every day. And yeah. I'm not too pr – I mean, like, the whole point is, like, if we get to learn every day of the rest of our lives, how lucky are we? Yeah. We're just doing the same thing every single day. Right. It just – and it's, like, I'm the first one to, you know, to be, like, wow. Like – and, again, like, I was just talking to a friend two days ago about, like, the concept of digital marketing. Right. Like I had a really, really in-depth conversation with a couple of people in the digital marketing sphere who work for some of the top stop, top e-commerce companies. Mm -hmm. And I was able to carry a conversation like I've been in the industry for like a couple of years for uh, for five years. But I, I really have just been learning. Mm -hmm. I mean, my business is built on digital marketing, you know, yeah. and like and I have to learn. I have really great, a great, you know. Um, team members who, who manage those things. But I have to be, because I'm in the business of it, I have to be able to understand it. Right. And so, so I have to like look at it and read it and learn it. And some people are, are you know, it's like, it's scary at first. It's scary for me too. I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, it's going to be a dumb question, but can you, it's like, no, you yeah. know, just no problem answering yeah. it, answering it. I feel like I'm asking so many dumb questions all the time in different fields, right? Because I have to be basically like, you know, it's like, it's kind of like the, or the it's kind of like, um, you know, the, the conductor, right? Uh -huh. The conductor can kind of dabble in the instruments, but then the, each person who plays an instrument are experts in those instruments, right. Right? right? So I feel like I'm the conductor and I, and I'm, and as I start to kind of like delve into each instrument, I'm learning so much, right? right? And even as a conductor, I'm learning, but like how to be a better conductor. Well, that know? even takes it back to filmmaking too. Cause that's my favorite thing about filmmaking is when you get to work with all these talented people. Oh yeah. And all the layers involved to make like, a film. And yeah. To the things that you can make. It's just, there's nothing better than that. It's crazy. You know, just being around people that are the oh, best yeah. at what they do. Oh yeah. You know, it's cool. It's really so cool. cool. Yeah. Well, you know what, what's been the tough moments for you? 
and trying to make it work? Yeah, I mean, I would say the, um, you know, the toughest thing is 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 to you know continue to 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 to, to wonder and ask like, are we the people? Are, are we the team that is going to break this taboo once and for all? Mm-hmm. Like, can we do it? Like, like, because so many people are still like, ew, gross. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and so I mean modeling agencies still don't want to work with us. New York City taxi TVs don't want to let us advertise on those. A lot of billboards don't want to let us advertise there. So many companies don't want us to work with them because we're talking about periods. And so no national television station has ever worked with us yet because they're like, America's not ready for talking for this conversation. Like so many things, we're we're constantly getting pushback. So the question is like, we are constantly whittling at this this problem. And, And like, you know, the question is like, can we get to the mainstream? Because well, you like, build it from the ground up until they have no they choice, have no but ability, no choice but to <laughs> to to have to yeah, like face it. Exactly. Yeah. And so we're 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 constantly whittling it down. We're constantly talking to all these groups who are not interested or think it's gross or crass or whatever. And and it's and it's like, are we the best people to do it? I believe we are. Yeah. Like I believe we have the best team to do that to uh-huh. execute on this dream. For every thinks underwear sold, we're funding. Um, 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 reusable menstrual pads that goes to a girl in the developing world. Mm-hmm. We've helped to date over 50,000 girls go back to school and we're also now launching our Thinks Global Girls Clubs which are safe spaces for girls to learn about their bodies, get menstrual products at subsidized costs, learn about self-defense, um, financial literacy and and um, entrepreneurship. We're launching these all over um, in Nepal, in Sri Lanka, in India, and in Tanzania yeah. first. And then we're going to glo- launch them globally that we're going to fund ourselves. And then we're, with with Icon, for every Icon underwear sold that solves your pee problem, uh-huh. we are funding fistula operations. Obstetric fistula is okay. a, basically a, a problem where a woman gives birth, she ends up ripping a hole in her bladder. Mm-hmm. If that happens to a woman here, she's fine. She gets to sew it up and you're back in business over right. you know, a couple of weeks recovery, you're good. If that happens to you in the developing world, you basically end up peeing yourself for the rest of your life. You're put in these fistula camps to die, and then you're done for the rest of your life. And so basically what we're saying is, no, we're going to help, you know, basically get these women back to their lives. And so we're funding fistula operations for every icon underwear sold. Mm. And so I'm actually going to Rwanda in October to with a bunch of doctors, and we're going to, to help, help in fistula operations, which That's will incredible. be so great. This is yeah. all, like, so exciting and inspirational. What are you going to have for lunch today? Oh, my God. I'm going to Hugh Kitchen right now, and I'm going to have a beautiful... I basically, I'm 98% vegan. Okay. Um, and um, and I've cut, I would say, like 95% of sugar out of my diet, yeah. processed refined sugar, mm-hmm. not obviously like sh- like like sugars from fruits, right. but refined sugars. Yeah. It just, it's just bad for my thyroid. Like, I've had a hyperthyroid problem, and I pretty much cured myself in the last two years through the elimination diet, through like functional medicine, through yoga, through meditation, but really mainly through diet, yeah. you know? And so... Is your dad stoked about everything? Has he finally come on board with what you're doing? Well, up until two years ago, he was like, <laughs> it's never too late to go back to medical school. But then, you know, now it's like pretty good. That's beautiful. <laughs> no, now he's very proud of his girls. He feels he feels like he's done a good job. I'm, I'm so excited to see everything that's going to come next for you. Thank uh, you. Mickey Agrawal, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. Awesome. <laughs>